This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We have lots to get to today, starting with the Wild here in just a minute. Lost 5-2 to St. Louis on Tuesday. Pushed to the brink in this playoff series. Now down 3-2. Missed opportunity telling the story of this postseason for the Wild just as it did for the Wolves. Will their fate be any different? We'll dive into that here in a minute. Got to talk a little bit of twins here. Ran into some better competition, some better pitching. Maybe a predictable result on Tuesday with Justin Verlander shutting them down. Um, Almost having a no-hitter, by the way. Um, Lynx falling to 0-3 was not a good night for Minnesota sports. A lot of teams... Lost and didn't look good doing it. Lynx fall to 0-3, lose to Indiana, a rebuilding team in every sense of the word. If you can't win that one, you are in trouble. And David Levake, high school sports writer for the Star Tribune, will join me here in a little while as well to talk about high school recruiting, to talk about um, high school boys volleyball almost getting into the mix as the next varsity sport, but falling one vote short. First, though, what did I miss? Have to focus on the wild. That is the time of year we're in. Playoffs, playoffs, playoffs. Wild is up 2-1 late in the second period at home. Game 5, a lot of momentum, a lot of things going their way against St. Louis. A little bit of a fluky goal towards the end of the period totally changes momentum. And then Vladimir Tarasenko, the hat trick in the third period. A lot not to like about those goals. The Wild kind of crumbled in the third period. I've got three main points to make about that and then some big picture stuff. Number one, Kirill Kaprizov cannot do this alone. Kaprizov had both wild goals on uh, on Tuesday, including a ridiculous second one where he, you know, kind of maneuvered the puck to himself and fired a shot in, you know, kind of a just a very tight space shot, upper, you know, upper short side. It was just a, a perfect, beautifully placed shot. He has absolutely shown up and beyond that in these playoffs. Seven goals now for the Wild in the postseason, but folks, he can't do this by himself, and you know, it hasn't been just him, I think Joel Eriksson has had a nice playoff series, I think um, Kaprizov's line mates have been fine, maybe getting some points by, just by being near him, but also by playing reasonably well, Matt Zuccarello and Ryan Hartman, but <clears throat> every other line has come up small, at least in the scoring department, in this postseason, the Wild has 15 playoff goals right now. Kaprizov has seven of them. Eriksson has three. Nobody else with more than one. And you've got nothing from Kevin Fiala on the uh, on the goal standpoint. No goals. Three assists in five games. A minus four in those you know five on five situations. He's fired 12 shots, which is okay. But none of them have gone in. Kaprizov, by the way, has taken 25 shots. He's been all over the ice. Everything you want a star player to be, Kaprizov has been 
in these playoffs. It's for, for him to have seven goals in five games and for them to, to trail now in this series, it's, it's a failure. It's, you're failing your, your best player. He's, he's absolutely been carrying you, trying to carry you through these playoffs and nobody else is coming along for the ride. It, it's like, I don't know. I don't know how exactly how to describe it other than that, but he, it feels like he is playing a different game with a different sense of urgency than the rest of his teammates. Speaking of a lack of urgency, the, the, the go-ahead goal for St. Louis early in the third period Tuesday night was just a classic case of tentativeness, of, of poor play. And I don't know who exactly to blame, but both wild defensemen kind of watched. It was like a harmless-looking dump in essentially I mean yeah St. Louis got the puck deep but it was the kind of play where it didn't look like there should have been a whole lot of pressure on the puck both wild defensemen could have gone and played the puck but both let the St. Louis skater come through and play the puck Jacob Middleton who's been very good in this series by and large by the way he's a plus six in this series in five games I don't want to pick on him necessarily but he lets that puck get played by the St. Louis player Sent centers to uh, to Tarasenko. Tarasenko fires one past Mark Andre Fleury for the three two lead. Fleury, by the way, could have played that puck. They made that point on the ESPN broadcast that maybe he could have helped his teammates a little bit if he had gone and played that puck around. But maybe he's thinking, okay, we've got two guys here. Um, one of them should be able to go get it and play it, and I don't. I don't think I need to be the one that goes and plays it. So. That happened, and all of a sudden it's three to two, and then it gets to be four to two really fast right after that, and then of course St. Louis adds an empty netter later. So that was disappointing to me. That whole sequence just felt like a team that was tight, that was feeling, you know, a little bit of the the pressure of you know two to two in the third period, two to two at this in the series. You're at home, you know. ESPN flashed a graphic too during that game, which wasn't surprising to me at all. Winner of Game Five, in a, you know when the series is tied two two two, goes on to win the series almost eighty percent of the time. It's just so hard to recover from that because then, of course, you know it's just simple math. You've got to win two when the only te- when the other team only has to win one, and it feels like the uh, the challenge becomes even more daunting when you are the home team and you lose that game five because then you got to immediately go to that other team's building in game six it's rocking they're flying around trying to win that game trying to finish things off and not go back to your home ice for game seven so that sequence right there was very disappointing to me felt like they could have done more with that and I guess the other point I need to make on this before we hear from wild head coach Dean Evison and hear from wild beat writer Sarah McClellan is that I just felt like there was the energy in the building. I just feel like there's this thing that happens in Minnesota sports where we are scarred by past failures, where we are expecting the worst. And as soon as that third period started, it seemed like people were excited. But as soon as that first goal went in, even if it was just 3-2, even if the Wild has been this tremendous comeback team all season, Everybody at that point was expecting the worst, was resigned to some sort of fate. And I'm not blaming the fans for this loss. I'm just saying there is an energy in this market that is inescapable. When things start to go wrong, the energy just gets so bad. I felt it 
in Game 3 of that Timberwolves playoff loss, being at Target Center when they blew that 25-26 point lead. The energy at the end, you know, middle by the middle of the fourth quarter was just awful. Everybody was expecting them to lose. And, you know, maybe that expectation comes from feeling the energy of the team. I don't know what it is, but there is this damage to our collective psyche. I don't know how you break out of that cycle. Maybe the only way to break out of the cycle is to finally win a couple of these games. So where does the Wild go from here? Can they push any magic buttons? Well, Cam Talbot ended the regular season without a loss in 16 consecutive regulation starts. 13-0-3 in his last 16 regulation starts. You know what they usually call someone who wins his last or who doesn't lose in 16 straight starts? They call him the Stanley Cup champion. Um, Cam Talbot's not played in this series. Marc-Andre Fleury has been good. He's been bad. I think the sum total is he's been average in this series. Would not stun me to see a switch just for the sake sometimes of switching, changing the energy, changing the chemistry for game six. I know Dean Evison has just rode with Marc-Andre Fleury. He's got that playoff pedigree, so I guess it wouldn't surprise me too to see him stick with Fleury, but if it was me, I would be tempted at this point, you saw what it did for the Blues in this series. They made a switch from from Huso to Bennington in, you know, after Game 3, and they've won those last two games. It wasn't all Bennington, of course, but I think he brought a different edge to the crease, and maybe Cam Talbot, very rested, very ready, could steal them Game 6, change the energy a little bit. So that is the one button Dean Evison has to push, and I wonder if he will do that. That said, I just think he's, you know, post-game, he's he's counting on the resilience of this team to carry them through. Let's hear from him now. We've seen our group respond, and we're expecting our group to respond. And yeah, it's a must-win. It's, it's it's desperation. We're, we're going to play our best game, all the cliches that you want to you wanna throw out there. It's, it's one hockey game uh, at a time, and we'll compete our butts off and, and uh, see where we sit at the end of the night. Can they do it? I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've, this has been a resilient team all year. I will grant them that. But the way things finished in Game 5, they're going to have a lot to overcome. I want to play a voicemail now, too, from Sarah McClellan, our wild beat writer, checked in late, late, late after the game with these thoughts. Kirill Kaprizov had his best showing of the playoffs in Game 5, but the performance still wasn't enough for the Wild to prevail against the Blues who now have a chance to close out this best-of-seven series on home ice on Thursday after their 5-2 win on Tuesday at XL Energy Center. How did the Wild get here? Four straight goals by St. Louis flipped its one-goal deficit into a runaway victory. After a tying goal late in the second period by Brandon Saad, Vladimir Tarasenko scored twice in 1 minute and 28 seconds early in the third before completing a hat-trick into an empty net. On the game-winning goal, Tarasenko was left all alone in front to capitalize, with Wild coach Dean Evison calling the team's mistakes uncharacteristic. This surge by the Blues came after an impressive two-goal effort in the first period by Kaprizov to give the Wild a 2-1 lead. He scored twice on the power play less than four minutes apart, and his seven goals lead the Stanley Cup playoffs and are the most in Wild history for a single series. But despite Kaprizov's tear, the Wild season is one loss away from being over. 
Game six will determine if the Wild is the only team to travel back to Minnesota or if the Blues will also have to make that trip for game seven. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Happy to have David Levake on Daily Delivery today. David does a great job covering high school sports with the Star Tribune. He and I go way back. I was his editor back in the day, and it feels like a different life. But prep sports uh, have been a big uh, a big part of what we do at the Star Tribune for a long time, and things only evolving and changing. And David had a good story in Tuesday's paper that I wanted to ask him a little bit more about. Dave, how you doing? Doing well, thanks. Nice to be working more directly with you again. Yes, yes. And uh, maybe I'll see you in the office soon. We're starting to creep back in there a little bit more. Um, but you had a story on high school recruiting and feels like it was mostly the football realm and just kind of this new tool that the Minnesota Football Coaches Association is kind of latching onto where you know athletes have kind of a more comprehensive way of you know getting their not just their skills and their highlights, but some maybe a little bit of their personality and some of their, you know, doing, doing drills, things like that. Um, I think it's called signing day sports. As you've kind of thought about the evolution of recruiting, maybe we can kind of start there. It's just, it's been such a, it's always been such a big part of, of what we do, a big part of the, the high school interest level, you know, getting you know, these high school kids going to college, but it feels like it's getting more sophisticated uh, by, by the day. You're right. We always had huddle. And one of the first things I asked the folks at Signing Day Sports is, well, I thought we already had a platform for putting up videos and, and game highlights. And they said, we do, but this takes that concept a step further. And it allows to record your measurable uh, attributes. So whether that's your 40-yard dash or your vertical jump, it takes the ambiguity out of, well, this kid says he, he posted he ran a 4-3. How, how verifiable is that? Well, now there's video to, to allow for that. Uh, same thing with vertical jump. It allows for kids to answer questions and give you a sense of their personality, their priorities, why they play football, who they are as young men. So it's got a lot going for it. And it really it embraces the technology. Uh, for example, we had a, a, a combine here in Minnesota for the third year put on by the Minnesota football coaches association and training house. And the kids were encouraged to just bring their phones and stand in a line to do the 40 yard dash, for example, and you hand your phone to the kid behind you, he records it and then you can upload it. It's, it's really that uh, it's that kind of grassroots as far as putting the information out. You don't have to hire a video crew to follow you around. So it seems like it, it offers a lot that, is good for the kids' exposure, but also gives the college uh, recruiters peace of mind that the information is legitimate. Is this, you know, from a user standpoint, is this designed more for the athlete that might not otherwise ordinarily get seen or that doesn't get to all the camps, maybe is in a, you know, more remote area, things like that? Or, or is that, is it more of a, just anybody who is, you know, wants to get recruited is going to use this tool? I asked uh, Chad Greenway was one of the hooks for this story. The other being that Sanding Day Sports uh, partnered with the Minnesota Football Coaches Association. 
Chad Greenway, the great little Vikings linebacker, he came on as an ambassador. And he was that kind of a guy coming out of a, a small school in southeastern South Dakota. He didn't really, he got one college offer and it was a, it was from the University of Iowa, which he ultimately signed with. And it was somebody knew somebody that knew Kirk Ferentz, the Iowa coach. So it was kind of a, really a, a catching lightning in a bottle with him. And, and so he's, it's, it's near and dear to his heart that they find a way to get exposure. And I think he talked about it in the story. You might be a late bloomer. You might play for a school that's not terribly successful. You might play for a school that's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, this is a good vehicle to get yourself out there. He figures it's going to serve kids with division two and three aspirations a little better because not only are the kids trying to make a name for themselves, those, those uh, colleges don't have the recruiting staff and budgets that the blue bloods do. Uh, but can it help a division one athlete? Yes, it can. It can, uh, it can expose them to more division one options potentially. So it does cater to all levels of the high school uh, athlete, a high school football player looking to find a, a way to make a, a dent in the college scene. What do, uh, you know, what are the, I'm sure there's, you know, coaches that have been around for a long time. Do they have, they just kind of had to roll with the punches with this and just kind of adapt to the the new world or do some of them resist some of this and say, ah, you know, if you're good enough, they'll come find you. Don't, don't waste your time worrying about all of the, you know, the measurables and things like that. There is some resistance. The one of the things Greenway talked about, he said there's he called it varying levels of coaches' interest in helping with the recruiting process for their players. And so there are coaches that need to come on board. I think if you're talking about old school coaches, it doesn't get much older school than um, uh, Ron Stolsky, who was formerly the coach at Brainerd for 48 years. He's still the uh, head of the uh, coaches association, and he's speaking about this, talking about, Hey, you know, this is, he likes the fact that it's an innovative resource. He likes the fact that it'll maximize players exposure to colleges and universities and provide a clear path. So the old school coach is on board. And, and I think as more and more new school coaches take jobs, hopefully they'll say, Hey, it's worth it to, to promote my best kid or kids because it reflects well on the young men and it reflects well on me as a coach and it reflects well on the health of our program. Because you have to sell your program to kids nowadays to make sure they come to your high school instead of two towns over. So I think it it really um, it does a nice job of of getting coaches fired up about okay hey this is one place we can put this information and it's going to get seen by all these different schools and so I, I hopefully it'll it'll get whoever is kind of lingering out there in, in the uh, the stone age to, to come aboard and, and be part of this. Who has time to look at all this stuff? Though? I mean, I'm just thinking about like the schools, like there's this like, you know, you, you know what I'm thinking? Like, I, I just feel like, you know, I feel like the same thing happens in even in a content world where there's so much out there to consume when, when you have, when you're exponentially increasing the access you have to all these different players, it's got to be a little bit overwhelming. I would imagine for the coaches who are trying to evaluate all this. Yeah, it is. And, and one thing signing day sports offers is you can very quickly shorten the, uh, the, the, the amount of people you're looking at, you can screen them out. You can say, all right, I want just, I want just wide receivers. And so maybe the overall list of 150 comes down to, okay, there's only 25 wide receivers that have their information up, or uh, you know, I want um, kids that run a certain speed range. And okay. All right. Well, we can nail it down and narrow it down to those kids. So they, they have a way to make the searching process much more easy and, uh, 
easier to navigate and, and more quickly pair their program with what these players do best. Final thing on that story, and then I want to jump into a couple other things with you as well, David. Um, you know, this is not a free service, of course. Nothing really these days is. I believe the annual cost to the user was $250, which, you know, big picture, I, I suppose, is, is relatively affordable when you're talking about going to camps and you're talking about activity fees, you're talking about equipment, everything like that. Um, that said, it just feels like there is a, a certain arms race that we've written about before and you've written about even since since I was the sports editor there about a de- or, you know the high school editor about a decade ago you know as you think about that how do you kind of think about this fitting into that landscape and like just one more thing that people are on the hook for paying for if they want to if they want to have maximize their potential to 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 move on and be a college athlete you're right it is it is one more thing uh, you're also right that if you, if you go out to the $250 annually, if you take what it costs to, let's say you're living in Minnesota, let's say uh, these camps are even in the, even other parts of the Midwest. Now tell me how much gasoline and lodging and food and everything else is going to cost. Maybe it's not as, as ridiculous as it might seem uh, or as exorbitant as it might seem. The other thing that signing day sports is trying to do, they're trying to certainly, they want the individual uh, players to to sign up, but they're also looking to see if they could sell some sort of prorated package to a school. And then, with if you're under that particular school's umbrella, uh, now you can uh, reap the benefits of that. And and maybe it doesn't cost you much at all out of pocket because the school's picking up the tab, or the booster club is picking up the tab. So there are ways to 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 get around uh, the, the price points if if that's necessary. And and of course kids can still get a basic basic free subscription and still get their profiles to to have coaches be able to go out there and at least uh, see who they are and, and uh, what, what they think they can offer. Accompanying this story was a look at some of the more highly recruited linemen in Minnesota football right now. You see Jackson Howard from Cooper at the top of that list. He's a you know combo defensive end, tight end. Sounds like he's very highly recruited, you know, a national recruit son of Willie Howard, who's you know, currently his high school coach. And you know, he's been part of the Minnesota high school football scene for a while. Um, maybe you can just kind of touch on this list and, and how good these, you know, these linemen are that are, that, you know, that are making this top five cut right now. I had to chuckle because the last time I saw Jackson Howard, he was playing quarterback as an emergency in the uh, prep bowl semifinals because their guy had gone down hurt. And I had never seen Jackson Howard, and I'm thinking, all right, he's a defensive end, tight end. He's a big guy. Maybe he has a little baby fat on him. And then I saw him taking snaps and warming up, and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's just a really big uh, put-together athlete. So he definitely looks the part. And so, yeah, he's a, he's a special athlete and can do a lot of things, and he's clearly a leader for his team. And, and uh, God, what is it, 60 Division One offers he's got? That's crazy, uh, including one from the Gophers for those that, that uh, are, are concerned about such things. Um, and the rest of your question, I'm sorry, Mike. What was, was just just the just the rest of uh, the rest of the list? You've got we got Jerome Williams from Osseo, who's an interior offensive lineman heading to the Gophers. Um, you got another defensive lineman from Moorhead. Just it seems like it's a pretty good crop of linemen on either side of the ball, and it's, maybe that's not too surprising. I think Minnesota does a pretty good job of 
cranking out, you know, offensive and defensive line mode. It does look like a particularly good group uh, that are getting recruited right now. Yeah, you're right. They all have credentials as players. They all have a, a, a offer list of offers that that would make you envious. Uh, I like the fact that we've got a kid from Moorhead and a kid from Cass and Manorville because you've got two situations there where you're outstate Minnesota. And in case of Cass and Manorville, a couple of small towns to boot. Uh, so that's exciting. And then a couple guys from Prior Lake, uh, which, which is fun to see. So, you know, and then we just came off a year where you had a really good crop of offensive linemen from Shakopee, Lakeville North, and Eden Prairie have always had their share. So it's, it's fun to see that, that not only are these guys big and strong, but gosh, they're getting so athletic. You know, as we mentioned at the top of this part of the conversation, Jackson Howard was emergency quarterback. So these are, these are really, really special athletes that, that happen to be linemen, but, uh, you know, could probably do a lot more for teams uh, depending on what their needs are. So they're that versatile. Shifting gears a little bit. Final thing I wanted to bring up, because I saw our colleague Jim Paulson reporting on this on Tuesday. Boys volleyball, very close. One vote away from becoming the next uh, sanctioned high school varsity sport, but misses by one vote. Maybe you can kind of just, you know, I know you weren't the primary reporter on this, but I'm sure you've you know, been keeping up with this story. Maybe you can kind of share kind of, you know, what was at stake? How did boys volleyball at least rise to where it is right now, where it seems like at some point soon, when you get that close, you'd imagine the votes will be there at some point once they kind of get this all sorted out. Yeah. Jim really did a nice job of breaking down what was at stake uh, in an article that ran, I guess that was um, last week on Friday. And he talked about, you know, so why, why are we here with volleyball? And he said, you know, one of the big reasons you know, talking about why you'd want to add it is, is opportunity because there's a survey that was conducted by the Minnesota boys high school volleyball league. Uh, and 90% of the boys that are already playing club volleyball were not intending to play another spring sport. Wow. So you, you say, say, well, I don't want this sport taken away from my kids. Cause that happened. I know there are concerns in, in lacrosse when that came in and you know, what are they going to take from track and field? They're going to take from baseball. So volleyball seems to be kind of in a, in a little uh, vacuum of its own as far as player interest. So that's, that's one thing that's exciting. Uh, the demand is growing. There's 1,400 boys that are playing in this 54-team uh, uh, Minnesota Boys High School Volleyball League this spring. Uh, so that, that's, uh, that's exciting. And then you've got uh, – and I thought this was maybe the key statistic of them all. 54% of the players – uh, identify as a person of color. And a lot of that is uh, Asian Americans. And so this is not just adding a sport for boys. It's adding a sport that is going to bring more faces and backgrounds to the mix that get at that larger goal of diversifying uh, the sports and the offerings and volleyball really caters to that. So that, I think that's exciting too. Hopefully that can get passed because I like all of those reasons. That sounds like a good reason to uh, a lot of those things, a good reason to add that eventually. So we'll see if that passes in the future. David, great stuff. Good catching up with you. Let's do this again soon. All right. Enjoy some uh, and then enjoy some summertime too. Pretty soon. I know the, the prep season is a grind. Spring isn't usually as bad as the, the fall and winter. You get outside, get to watch some uh, outdoor sports, but uh, you know, pretty soon I'm sure you'll be a, uh, Happy to uh, catch your breath a little bit more, right? Indeed. Indeed, I will. Good stuff from David Levesque. Love talking high school sports. Interesting, you know, direction recruiting has gone. Like Dave and I talked about, I was the high school sports editor at the Star Tribune from about 2007 to 2011. So 
you know, quite a while ago. Recruiting was obviously a big deal then, but technology has only accelerated and gotten you know more prevalent since then. The what you can do, how you can get your information out there, is only getting more advanced. So interesting to hear what players are doing these days, what teams are doing, and all of that. Let's finish up with a couple of thoughts on a couple other unfortunate outcomes on. Tuesday night, Twins lose to the Astros 5-0. Justin Verlander against Joe Ryan, you know, the two pitchers who have pitched best. um, You know, Joe Ryan, certainly the pitcher that's pitched best for the Twins this season, you know, most consistently at least. He was wild. He was ineffective. Four innings, four hits, five walks, could not command the strike zone. Justin Verlander had no problem commanding the strike zone. Eight innings. One hit, no runs, two walks, five strikeouts, only took him 89 pitches to dispatch the Twins. It was a beautiful night for a bad game. Again, Houston now 19-11. and Both teams came in 18-11, and but the Twins definitely had their doubters, right? Definitely had their you know people who were saying, yeah, you've done this against not-so-great competition, and they didn't really do much to quell those concerns in this game and again in this game no Byron Buxton no Carlos Correa Correa going on the injured list before the game trying to get that finger right after getting hit last week Buxton still trying to get right completely after you know another minor nagging injury that's keeping him out of the lineup so it was you know you just look up and down the twins lineup a lot of replacement players in there Jose Miranda was in there uh, Royce Lewis was in there. Kirilov back in there, but he's been kind of rusty. Um, Salestino's in there. So, you know, those guys against Justin Verlander, not necessarily a fair fight, and it showed on Tuesday night. Let's finish with the cooler. The Lynx fall to 0-3, lost to Indiana, which has not been a good team for a very long time. And that was, you know, I kind of went into that game thinking, okay, if the Lynx need to get right. They, they've lost their first two games, but they but both of them were against pretty good opponents. I mean, they jump out to a 21-12 lead after the first quarter. You're like, okay, they are trying to restore order here. End up losing 82-76. Get outscored 36-18 to in that second quarter of the game. Angel McCautry only plays seven minutes in this game. That is not going well. She got benched. Ariel Powers got benched as well. Um, not a not a happy kind of game for anybody involved in this one. Um, you know, Cheryl Reeve. You know, we're it's just no one's entitled to a starting job. She said after the game, we're going to spend our time tweaking and working and finding the right combination. It's important to remember, of course, that they started 0 and 4 last season before finishing 22 and 10. They should get better when Kayla McBride arrives. But um, you know, Sylvia Fowles in her you know. Last season, 26 points, 14 rebounds on 12 of 17 shooting. Did not get much help in this game. McCautry was a minus 14 in just seven minutes of action. So they got to figure this out. They got to get this right. Um, they they got to figure out what they're doing. Crystal Dangerfield, by the way, cut by the Lynx, cut by Reeve, is now on Indiana, played 21 minutes, had 10 points and six assists, and was a plus. 19 in the game might she have helped in this game you have to wonder going to talk more links on thursday show by the way with links beat writer kent youngblood of the star tribune 
That will do it for me today. Hope you enjoyed today's show. A lot of different topics covered here. Like I said, Link's topic will be heavily um, heavily discussed on Thursday's show. And on Friday, hoping to bring you an interview with Malika Andrews of ESPN. I hope that will play out and come through. Supposed to talk to her sometime in the next couple of days, so that could be a fun Friday show as well. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll be back at it again on Thursday.